Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. I'm motivated. I try to be the best at what I do. I, it, it wasn't in, in elementary school. I certainly wasn't like that. Uh, wrestling definitely impacted my life tremendously, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, it just kind of progressed throughout middle school and high school. I definitely became obsessive with training and being the very best that I could be as a, as a ninth, 10th, 11th grader in high school. That's when I really... We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. My guest today is the great Ken Chertow. One of the most intense competitors of his time. Pictures of this guy are all over the internet with him just gritting his teeth. Look up Ken Chertow and you'll know what I mean. Ken was a three-time All-American for Penn State back in the late 80s and was an Olympian while he was a junior in college in the 1988 Games. Since wrestling, Ken has been a staple, if you will, on the wrestling camp circuit scene. He's run a business. Uh, it's the gold medal wrestling camp system you can find all the information on kencheritow.com but this guy is a camp master so definitely check him out if you're looking to book him or attend one of his camps that's kencheritow.com c-h-e-r-t-o-w fan of the week ladies and gentlemen one of my favorite parts of the show is oh i got it right here this is from an Apple review, Johnny G7613. The review was left on August 5th. Subject, he truly cares. It's very obvious that Ryan really cares about those he's interviewing. He gets invested in the conversations, makes it feel like it's a conversation between friends as opposed to an interview. He goes on a few more lines, but I won't pamper the ego much more. But in all seriousness, Johnny G, thanks for leaving that review. And for any of you listening, please leave a review. If you're listening on Apple, it helps bubble this podcast up. Last but not least, folks, I have a announcement on one of my favorite nonprofits. It's Jim's Wrestling Warrior Scholarship, based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was founded by the guys who used to be involved with Marquette Wrestling. I know I'm butchering that a bit, but bottom line, it's an awesome nonprofit in Milwaukee. They're doing a golf outing next Tuesday. Go to wrestling.golfgenius.com. It's an awesome cause. They're not paying me to do this. I would just love to see some of you folks attend their golf outing. It's next Tuesday in Western Lakes at Western Lakes Golf Club in Wisconsin near Milwaukee. Go to wrestling.golfgenius.com to register. 
And that's it, folks. Let's get to the interview with the great Ken Chertow. Ken Chertow, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're on the road right now doing camps, so we're going to talk about your camp schedule and, and some of the things you're doing um, across the country here as we get moving. But let's, uh, let's start at the beginning because, you know, I could not find a whole lot on your days back in West Virginia. Um, so take us from the top, Ken Chertow. How did you get started with wrestling and um, how did you make that transition into high school? Uh, the beginning was just getting exposure to it. I, I'm first generation, whereby it seems like the majority of wrestlers have a father, uncle, somebody, some connection. I didn't. Uh, my mom took me to a local program, uh, actually in the Palatine, Illinois, YMCA, when I was in fourth grade. And um, I got killed, you know, for a season and did mediocre for another season. I, I wasn't anything special at all. and It was just seasonal. And um, it wasn't until seventh grade when I moved to West Virginia when I took a year round interest in it and I, I got really involved, you know, not just in my junior high program, but during the off season, I did a lot of extra and made a commitment to weightlifting and pretty much seventh grade when I was 12 years old is when I made a year round commitment to wrestling. And that's when it really started to impact me a great deal. And a lot of people who talk about you say you have this, this um, spirit, this fight within you, this inner drive that a lot of great athletes have at that super, super high level. Where did that come from for you? Was it your parents? Was it a role model? Where do you think that originated? I, I couldn't put my finger on that. I mean, I'm, I'm motivated. I try to be the best at what I do. I, it, it wasn't in, in elementary school. I certainly wasn't like that. Uh, wrestling definitely impacted my life tremendously, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, it just kind of progressed throughout middle school and high school. I definitely became obsessive with training and being the very best that I could be as a, as a ninth, 10th, 11th grader in high school. That's when I really became passionate about it. So it wasn't in my DNA as an elementary school student to be, you know, fanatical. And I didn't have a dad push me or anything. My father's a doctor. My mom was just raising us. Me and my brothers and sisters, there's four of us. And we, you know, wrestling definitely was, I'm so glad I found it. Um, but it wasn't like some natural gift to me. It took uh, many years to get from, you know, from getting killed to getting decent to getting good, et cetera, you know, progressive over time. And was it Bill Archer, who is a, a big, Mo, uh, big influential guy for you throughout high school in terms of technique. Bill was or? my Bill was my high school coach for tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grades. So those three years, absolutely, he was dedicated coach. And um, there's a couple training partners I had, um, Bob Taylor and Sam St. Clair. We won state championships back to back to back. So those were my buddies who I trained really hard with, and I helped raise their level of commitment, and that was exciting. Um, coach Archer's son, Robbie, is one of my first students ever. Um, he's the high school coach at Huntington High School now. He's a great kid. And, um, you know, I, I've been at wrestling, you know, year-round ever since eighth, ninth grade. So that's – but, yeah, definitely in West Virginia, Bill Archer was my main mentor in high school. There's a story I read, and you can confirm if this is true or not, but your senior year of high school, you had dominated your junior year, and – you were, you know, number one, your weight class and maybe motivation was weaning a little bit. And coach Archer came to you and said, uh, you know, I think you're like top 10 of the state. Next day you come back and you say, I think I'm way better than that. And it kind of lit a flame under you. I don't know if there's any truth to that story, but um, I'm always just interested to hear when people who are super motivated find additional reasons to, to get going. Yeah, I'm not sure what you're referring to. That might have been a little whisper down the alley. A story gets transposed over time. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I mean, in West Virginia, I definitely I, – I won all my matches my junior and senior year, so that wasn't necessarily the challenge. I definitely 
wanted to be better at the national level and was trying to challenge myself to beat some top guys. I wasn't a national level, you know, established wrestler until my senior year of high school. Like even my junior year, junior nationals, I did not place. Um, I made an impact. I beat some people that went on to be prominent, like John Fisher, University of Michigan, and um, the Gibbons brother, one of the Gibbons brothers is my age, Joe and Jim, I have a younger brother, Jeff, who I beat. That kind of put me on Iowa State's radar. So I got recruited, but I wasn't uh, a big dog, and you know, as, as a high school athlete. It was, I'd already committed to Penn State by the time I won junior nationals. Got it. What, where all did you visit for schools uh, in terms of recruiting? Well, I, I took a lot of unofficial visits as a junior with my parents. It was a really important decision for me and our family. I mean, I was getting mostly A's in high school. I, I looked at Princeton and other Ivy League schools. I, I traveled the country. I took my official visits, to answer your question. I, I took my official visits to Wisconsin. I really like Russ Hellickson. Great guy. Um, I also went to visit Oklahoma with Stan Abel. I went to Clemson. Um, back in the day, Wade Shallis was there, and then later on, Eddie Griffin. Um, and those were my main visits. I also visited your Chicago, Northwestern University was one of my official visits. Uh, Tim Szeski and Pete Galea were there on staff, but I believe Tom Jarman was the head coach at the time. And um, So I was looking. I had some ties to Chicago area. It's a great academic school. Uh, when all sun done, um, I really liked Wisconsin a lot. I liked Coach Ellison. was a little far from home, and uh, Penn State was a great fit. One of the key things for me choosing Penn State was – uh, my senior year of high school, Penn State had NCAA champions at 118 and 134. That was Carl DeStephanis and Scott Lynch. They were lightweights. I'm a lightweight. They were so excited when they won. They they embraced John Fritz, the head coach, the assistant coach at the time at Penn State. And it was an exciting moment. It's still really clear in my head here. 30 years later, I was like, he's got two NCAA champs as lightweights. They're dynamic. They're aggressive. I like what I see. Um I'm, I'm Penn State. That, that pretty much closed the deal for me um, choosing Penn State. Interestingly, though, I stayed in touch with Coach Hellickson. This is before technology and typing and the computers. I handwritten, wrote some letters and thanking him for recruiting me. And then when I graduated, wrote the letters. You know, I was looking for an opportunity to train and continue my coaching. And uh, he was my he hired me coming out of college. So my relationship built with Russ Hellickson through the recruiting process at Wisconsin led me to Ohio State for my next three years after college where I definitely had a wonderful experience uh, training under him and coaching with him. And we built a heck of a team. There it was a lot of fun. It's a good situation. Yeah. Those teams at Ohio state during the early nineties, you know, Kevin Randleman and Mark Ryland had some battles. <laughs> well, good, good memory, but that's really impressive. They did have some tenacious battles. It was pretty neat to coach Kevin Randleman. I, I got to give Mark Coleman kudos there. So I coached both Coleman and Randleman some, but ultimately Coleman and Randleman pushed each other and got each other great and obviously won UFC World Championships too. So that was pretty cool. I was involved in the early years of UFC. And then as far as my light middleweights, um, there was Adam DeSabino, Adam DeSabino and uh, Mark Marinelli were both multi-time All-Americans at 126 and 34. So I trained with them every day. Then also Mike Schick, and Kenny Ramsey were multi-time All-Americans for Ohio State at 150 and 158. So that stable of guys, um, I worked very hard with those light middleweights, as well as embracing Coleman and Randleman. But, of course, being the bright guy that I was, I stayed away from the live wrestling with <laughs> Randleman and Coleman. All right? So that's, the, that's my level of intelligence. Be careful around those two monsters. Um, but we had a heck of a room. It was a very exciting time in Ohio State wrestling history. and kind of paved the foundation for the next generation with Tommy Rollins and his friends. And then Russ Hellickson passed the torch to Tom Ryan. And it continues to be a, a, you know, an epic powerhouse. It's very exciting for wrestling. 
Yeah, I love uh, I love talking to Tommy Rollins and Tom Ryan, and uh, he's been on the show twice actually. I love love those guys. Let me ask you about uh, about Randleman though. So you know he's gone, he's passed away unfortunately, but you know a, a legend and really a, one of the first specimens uh, maybe that I can remember. What what was what was he like as a person? Was he you know happy go lucky? Was he just diehard serious about it? I mean, talk about the specimen that he was. Um, Kevin evolved during college. I mean, his true freshman year of college, he got beat numerous times. He struggled on bottom. He was struggling to put his game together. Um, he was a, a, a work in progress during that freshman year, and he, rest, he worked a lot with Mark Coleman. He lifted a lot of weights with Mark Coleman. He transformed his body from, you know, taking what he had to really building it, and um, he he won the NCAAs as a second year, as, as a freshman in college, his second year of college. He progressed a lot during those 365 days at Ohio State in the wrestling room, wrestling with Mark Coleman, wrestling with Rex Holman, getting mentored by Russ Hellickson. Um, He just steadily improved. I, there, there's no secret formula. Kevin worked his tail off. He was intense in his training, both on the mats and in the wrestling room. He's very focused, and uh, he wanted to win very much. He was a very emotional, passionate competitor. Yeah, no question. It's fun to watch those matches. Now – those matches with uh, Ryland, that is. Um, but jumping back to your time at Penn State, you know, when you got there, was Jim Martin already there? No, Jim and, Jim and I are the same class in college. We actually met as sophomores in high school. We were roommates uh, at a training camp, and it was a nice opportunity. We had no idea we were both heading for Penn State. He was a little tiny. I mean, we were both small at the time, under 100 pounds or around 100 pounds. Uh, we, ended, we came to Penn State together. Um, you know, we were both – 118 pounders basically he, he won state a senior year probably 112 um he came into the penn state wrestling room weighing less than 120 so he redshirted and i wrestled my true freshman year took some lumps man i coming out of west virginia it was definitely a challenge getting off bottom getting out of legs uh, i lost 14 matches as a freshman in college so when i say i wasn't born naturally to wrestle genetically i mean i took some lumps as a little kid but again in college 14 matches, 28 and 14 as a freshman true freshman in college so uh, God didn't give me the, the great gifts necessarily, but uh, we worked we worked together. We worked hard. Um, I redshirted the next year, and he came in at Russell 118. And then the next year, um, we went 118 to 126 and continued. And then we flipped weights, um, 118 to 126. We trained together for five years. Uh, he's awesome. He's my doctor. He's my orthopedic surgeon. Fortunately, I don't need to see him very often. Uh, but when I do need an orthopedic surgeon to look at me, I have Jim Martin. So the year that um, Iowa came to town, when did you guys beat Iowa at, uh, at Rec Hall? What year was that? Well, we, in my wrestling years at, at Penn State, we beat, we, won, we beat Iowa three of the five years I was part of that team, two of the four that I competed, but three of the five overall. And uh, the year you're talking about, I believe, was the, the historic year that um, the Gables on a big winning streak. Was, uh, 1986, my sophomore year of, of Penn State, we – Broke a big Iowa streak. They were dumb. They came into Rec Hall. It was in Sports Illustrated. Uh, it was when it was in Gable's heyday, and uh, we knocked off the Gable dynasty. It was me, Jim Martin, and then Tim Flynn, my buddy who coaches WVU now as part of that team. We had some other studs like Greg Linsky, Eric Brugel, Chris Bevelacco, who's going on a great success in media, as you probably are aware, being a media guy. I'd love, love to share some of his stories. But we had a, we had a great program. Rich Lorenzo, John Fritz, and Shirley they built a really powerful program at Penn State. And uh, that, that was that year, 19, it might have been 1987 would have been that year. And it kind of blurs the exact, the next year we went into Carver Hawkeye and beat, and I know you're probably an Iowa fan being a, and I'm a I got big the Iowa, Iowa fan. I got the Iowa colors on, man. For sure. Hey, uh, uh, we went into 
we went into Carver Hawkeye and beat their um, winning streak in Carver Hawkeye the next year. So we beat them back-to-back years uh, at Recall, then at Iowa. Uh, that was fun. In that match, I wrestled Steve Martin. There was all this talk of you know, him and uh, being a real – he was, I was in him when he was really coming to his prime at Iowa, and uh, I was able to ride him for, like, over four – you know, he's the son of the Gramby camp legend, right? So the goal is to put the tight waist on him and stop the Gramby. <laughs> but it worked out pretty – I actually threw him in the cheerleaders. It was a fun match. Carver Hawkeye's kind of cool. The cheerleaders are sitting right there in the mat. We need more cheerleaders in wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a fun memory from that dual meet, tossing Steve into the girls. But I, I beat Steve by major decision. Jimmy Martin beat Brad Penrith with a tight waist tilt in the last few seconds of the, the match um, to, to beat him. Um, that might have been the NCAA finals when he beat Penrith with the tilt, but he beat Penrith in that dual meet. Um, and then we just we went on to win that dual meet as well. Man, you guys had some – Really fun matches back in those that era. You know, a lot of people think about Penn State now, and of course they're amazing now. You know, one of the best dynasties ever going right now. But you know, mid mid to late eighties through like ninety four, ninety five, they were really solid teams at Penn State. Yeah, I was very proud to be part of Penn State coming in there. I mean, we were a strong program when I got there. You know, top twenty. Ultimately, that year when I was senior in high school, we were obviously top ten. We have two champions. But the program really came together. My recruiting class was was one of the highly ranked recruiting classes in that decade, and um, our guys came together and did very well. Um, and we 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 won the national duels. We were second in the NCAAs. We never won. We lost one year to Iowa State, another year to Arizona State, uh, Iowa won. But we were part of that group of teams coming in to break up the the dominance there. And then as a coach, we we won the national duels, and we were second in NCAAs when I was coaching at Penn State. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a fun time. And then now the current era obviously is, is amazing, like the Gable era of the 80s, and uh, it's just a, a dominating thing. Now, that, that, now here Iowa's caught up, and it's an exciting time, and then boom, COVID hits. So it's going to be some very exciting competitive years in the next few. Um, Penn State's had some great talent there. I mean, first David Taylor and Ed Ruth and that generation of guys, and then more recently with the Zane, Zane Train, one of my longtime students, Zane's grown up in my club. And then you bring Bo Nickel from Texas, Mark Collin from Minnesota or Michigan or Kentucky or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you get all these superstars together, and uh, it's uh, amazing. And, and Gable had talent too. I mean, Lincoln McElravey, Joe Williams, those guys are pretty amazing talents in, uh, in their own rights. Incredible talents. And – you know, there's, there's, a, there's so many things I want to ask you about, but and we're going to jump around a little bit. But one of the years that I, I got to think Rec Hall was going crazy was 93-94, beginning of the, that season. You guys were ranked number one, Oklahoma State's number two, and they were just coming back off of suspension. And they came into Rec Hall and actually upset you guys that night. Um, and I've read stories. Were you coaching? During that year, I would I cannot take credit for that loss. I had already left college coaching and chosen to run camps. So, uh, gotcha. To tying things together for you a little bit, after college, I coached with Russ Hellickson for a few years, three, and then when Rich Lorenzo, the head coach, retired at Penn State, John Fritz was hired. He became the head coach. They brought me in, and I worked with him a couple of years. Um, but then I chose to just do camps full time, and I wasn't there. I know what you're talking about. I remember that upset, or I don't know if we call it upset, but that that in, intense match, yeah. you know, Oklahoma State, Penn State. Um, but I, I was not part of the Penn State program by that time. I had already moved on. Gotcha. Okay. I've been full-time running wrestling camps for 20 years now. And so you have the – I'm going to pause that question because I got to know about your daily routine at Penn State because you and Jim Martin were known for guys who got damn near straight A's but worked like a dog. Hit us with your daily routine in college and, and what that looked like year in and year out. 
Well, we did work consistently. I mean, the great part of it is just because you do consistently. I mean, from a grade standpoint, it's not rocket science. You go to class, pay attention, you take good notes, you bring them home, you study them. I mean, I was very regimented about my study. That was Jimmy. And Jimmy perhaps more so than me. We both went to the medical school. We were both serious about what we were doing. Um, we just worked our tails off. As far as the wrestling part of it, I mean, just get after it consistently. Uh, we, we lived clean lives. We did not, we were not drinkers, partiers. We, we stayed out of that trouble whereby so many athletes are pulled to the distractions of beer drinking, pot smoking, and other problems. I chose not to do any of that, nor did he. Um, we, we didn't do it together. It wasn't like we were best friends or, but I mean, we were good friends. We still are, but it wasn't like we talked about it. We just made this, we had similar social choices. Um, so we were able to focus on our training, getting the most of our training. If you're going to eat healthy, why go drink beer and smoke dope like some people do? Uh, it's just a bad part of culture, and I don't do it to this day. And as a camp director, I, I'm often talking to children about it. It's such a prominent part of our culture now, a sad part of our culture. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I made the choice not to drink beer and smoke and get in trouble. And it was, for me, it was just a way of life. You know, there wasn't some special regimen I had. I just was consistent year-round in my regimen. I trained hard. I trained smart. I paid attention to detail. Uh, I ate healthy. I got proper rest. And um, I just steadily kept getting better progressively over time into my mid-20s. And if you did two workouts a day, which I'm sure you did, um, in one facet or another, what would, what would those two workouts look like in terms of how much time focused on building skill versus wrestling and lifting and running? I mean, what, what's your perfect week if you could, you know, looking back on it? That's a good question. A perfect week's a long answer, but the yeah. short answer is it depends on the time of the year, right? Depends if you're preseason, winter, or springtime training freestyle. Um, but in general, John Fritz, my, assist, my the assistant coach at the time, would come in and drill with me. He would let me drill on him literally 20, 30 minutes, boom, 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 boom drilling. And I just get that great. So I was really technique oriented. And then I'd go do my run or my lift right after that. So I would start off, you know, warm up for three or four minutes between classes or whether it was 6 a.m. or whether it was 10 or 11 a.m. between classes. Usually I try to do it at the later time. A lot of the team workouts are at 6 a.m. But when I had to do it on my own, I would usually do it between classes. Um, usually I had, I'd try to keep a two-hour window um, so I could get it done quality. But that's what I did. I, I would drill. I drilled a lot. There's so much talk now about play wrestling, you know, this, this key word. Well, when you're talented like a phenom coming out of high school, you go in there and roll around and play in the experimental positions and get really good. But for the typical 15 to 18-year-old, you need to drill. And um, that's what I did. I did a lot of drilling every day, and then I'd go lift or run. And, it, you know, I had a good strength coach who pushed me. I wasn't into heavy lifting necessarily. I was more into the high intensity going from set to set to set. There's different philosophies there. You know, if I'm training, it depends who you're training. I, I, I try to have, I try to be relentless. My style of wrestling w- was like, go, go. And not so much shoot, shoot, but pound head, underhook, constantly hand fight. So I was constantly strength training for both strength and endurance. Um, one, obviously the brands were relentless. They were push show all the time. I, I love the Metcalf style. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I trained Zane. You know, he had the nickname Train, right? So he's relentless, constantly keep going. It's not because he runs through like a train like Burroughs. It's because he's constantly pressuring you, pressuring you, pressuring you. And that's what I tried to bring to the table on my feet was a relentless pressure, um, a lot of working the head and underhooking. And I trained for that. I, I trained on the weights. I trained running. I used the arm bike. And I just strived to be tireless as a competitor. So, yeah, I wanted to master technique and the art of wrestling. But I also wanted to be able to do that art for seven minutes nonstop, relentlessly, 
to make sure I had that guy tired in the third period and won the close matches. And I was able to do that consistently at the end, you know, the final three years of my career. God, you sound like Sammy Hansen the way you're describing your wrestling. <laughs> He's got a good nickname. I like it. The you know, ball. The, um, I can appreciate that. So, and me and Sam, that similar size, never quite wrestled, never wrestled, never trained, just a little different era, maybe six years in age apart. Yeah. But you got to appreciate the bull mindset. Yeah. Well, as you're saying it, I'm like, man, it's, that's the Iowa style. But then I also thought the same thing when Sammy was describing his style. And yeah, to your point, I didn't know if there was any overlap. Something impressive about Sam is, you know, he like, okay, you go to the Iowa room, Brand, you're in a, a great room. I'm in a great room at Penn State. Sam was able to do it in Missouri. Obviously, he wasn't fully satisfied. Missouri ended up at Clemson. I mean, he certainly wasn't in the ideal training situations, yet he was always able to impose his will uh, on his opponents. And, you know, obviously, he's world champion. Um, he was a hand-fighting machine. Got to love it. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to see those workouts with him and Gil Sanchez back in those days because Gil is such a unique, unique style in his own right. Now, let me ask you about coaching philosophy for a little bit. So you've been running a business, like you said, you know, 20, 30 years now. Um, you do the camps in the summer. Then you have a, used to have a wrestling club in the winter. Um, what are some of the main things you've seen just over the past 20 years now that wrestling tournaments have skyrocketed, matches have skyrocketed? What's the proper balance between competition and uh, working out for youth kids? Well, in general, there's way too much competition. I mean, you don't need to go to tournament all day, sit around for four or five matches and usually cream the most of the guys anyway. So the balance is skewed now with so many different organizations running so many tournaments. I mean, you need to compete, but it's gotten ridiculous. So the key is training. I mean, I grew up training in West Virginia. I didn't go to that many tournaments. I mean, I went some, I'd go to Ohio, go to Pennsylvania. I'd get the matches I felt I needed within reason. Same thing in college. I mean, you compete all winter. You don't need a zillion matches in the spring and summer. I, you know, parents are seeking too much of these young kids in the elementary school, middle school ages. And then even in high school, I mean, it should be quality over quantity. Um, but that's, that's the general thing. I mean, training, learning and training, drilling, drilling, drilling is far more superior for developmental uh, development of skills and abilities than actual matches. Don't be wrong. You need your matches. You need your regular season matches. Maybe you match that number of matches in the off season. So let's say you wrestle 40 or 50 winter matches. Maybe during the spring and summer, you get another 40 or 50. And I mean, the kids are anymore. It's like they're getting a zillion, you know, 60, 70 in a season, another hundred in off season. I don't think it's a necessary balance. I, I believe that it's better to focus on learning and training and skill development. And, and you could get a lot of live wrestling in your community and in your club at a local level or at the regional level, going to your regional training center and get some quality training in. And what do you think about, you know, a lot of people, a lot of parents listen to this show and their kids are in middle school and they're sixth grade and they're not obsessed yet. They're not a Zane Rutherford, but they love wrestling and they they'll message me and say, Hey, how many you should we be wrestling? How many times a week should we be working out? You know, for a, a sixth, seventh grade kid who, you know, loves wrestling, but isn't, you know, obsessed yet in one of the elite talents, how many times a week, do you recommend um, for someone like that working out both technique and strength and conditioning? Well, you could definitely, once you're you know, 12 and older, you could hit the mats four to six days a week and get good quality mat time in practicing. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for practicing, drilling, wrestling, skill drills. Um, I just think so many weekends away competing just burns you out. Plus you're making weight every weekend. It's just a hassle. It just, it fries your mind and you don't get as much out of it as you do going to practice for two hours 
uh, on a weeknight. So I, I'm all for a four to six, you know, day a week routine. Maybe that's only you know eight to ten months out of the year. I use it only loosely. That's quite a bit. But I mean, generally, August is a decent time to catch your breath and get give your body some rest from the mats. Maybe maybe you take a week off after the end of folk style season. Uh, if you have the discipline to do that, it's sometimes good to walk away from that. Um, there's certain different week or two periods you take off, but generally August is a good month to take off and rest. At this time, it's a little different. I mean, a lot of people had a lot of rest due to COVID. They have limited mat time. So, I mean, at this point, you want to make the most of any mat time you get. And so it's, uh, you know, two, three, four, five, six times a week in the summer, um, maybe sprinkle in, what, three, four tournaments to get those 20, 30 matches. And that, that's, that's kind of the routine you'd put forth for a, for a young middle school kid. Yeah, that was a pretty general statement. But, yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of ballpark. I, I, what I said specifically was four to six days a week, ten months out of the year. I mean, if you really want to get good at it, if you're going to reach your full potential and you're, and you're going to specialize, I mean, obviously if you're playing football in the fall, you can't wrestle for six days a week. But if you're not playing football, why not go hit the mats, especially if you got something in your – a mat in your community, you know, where you don't have to travel an hour each way to it. Uh, you know, diff- different kids have access to different things. So if you're on the boondocks, you have to travel to club, maybe you're only going three days a week, but maybe you're getting on the mat for two hours full, two full hours. Uh, maybe you're doing some extra camps on the weekends. Uh, it's just every situation is different. you got to make the most of your own individual situation. It depends a lot if you're playing, you know, fall sport or not. Man, so no sugarcoating it with Ken towel. Four to six times a week, 10 months of the year. That's the level of commitment it takes. Um, and obviously, you know, since you're, uh, you know, three-time All-American, but also an Olympian, I, we have to hit on the Olympic experience a little bit. When was the first time you decided to cut down to 114? What was that cut like? Cut was miserable. Uh, the first time I ever did it, because I won the state of 126 in senior high school. So my walk around was, you know, high, high 130s. Um, it's throughout college uh, into, into the forties by the end. But anyways, to answer your question, uh, I wrestled, I was one eighteen pounder. I was third in the NCAAs as a junior at one eighteen, And I wrestled in a, a USA versus Russia dual meet in Madison square garden. Um, Dan Gable and Al Bevilacqua were in my corner and the weight was actually one nineteen. It was two pound, two kilo allowance. And I, I defeated this Russian named Toguzov. Um, and he was a, a legendary, I don't know, legendary, a very, very prominent Russian world medalist. And uh, I beat him at 119 pounds. And the previous year in the world, I was the alternate on the world team at 125. Um, the legend Barry Davis beat me in the world team finals. And he, he's gone, he's an Olympic silver medalist. He's a stud, obviously, about five years older than me. It would have been hard to beat him at 125 to make that Olympic team. And Gable and Bevilacqua talked me into going down to 114. Or I don't know if talked me into is the right word, but encouraged it. And that was spring of 1988, my junior year of college. I was 21 years old, and uh, I made that pull to 114 and a half pounds. I made it in multiple Olympic trial qualifiers and the final qualifiers, obviously Olympics. Um, it, uh, and, you know, it worked. I made our Olympic team. When, when I've made it at 125, maybe I might have beat Barry. I don't think I was beating Sergey Belglosov. I mean, that was one of the things that – where's my best chance to win a gold medal? My best chance to beat – Belglosov, or is it to beat Jordanov or Sato or somebody else in that 114 division? And, and Sergey Belglosov is, a, is an icon, and uh, I decided to go to 114, so it paid off. It, it worked for me. I made the Olympic team. I, was, I had some killer matches to make it. Jack Kubo was a legend, and I beat him to make in the semis. And then the final Olympic trials, I had to beat Joe Gonzalez, who was uh, far more athletic than me, quicker. I was able to anticipate um, a lot of his shots, and I did a good job preparing 
for that final series. It was two. You had two out of three. I beat them both of them. But uh, video now, you know, just kind of a side note, I study a lot of video. That was the early years of video study. It was still VHS. Um, but I paid my dues intellectually to prepare to beat Kubo, to beat Gonzalez. I, mean, I had a pretty good clue who I'd have to be. I mean, I beat many others along the way. But I, I used video to prepare as diligently as I could. It paid off. Um, of course, I used it in the Olympics, too, and it didn't, it didn't work as well. But uh, the guys, you know, I, I knew I wrestled Valentin Zhordanov in the Olympics, and I knew what he did. I'd studied him. He was one of my idols, and um, he still got many of his moves on me. He's amazing. <laughs> anyways, that was my loss in the Olympics. He's a multi-time world champ and Olympic champ. Of course, very involved with the Fox Catcher Farms later on. Um, Sadly, yeah, it's a whole yeah. other. He 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 was not part of that gross part of it though. He he's kind of separated himself when all that went. But it is, yeah, it's a whole other topic. I stayed clear of that stuff. Ooh. Now, when you were so when you mentioned you had Kuvo and um, Gonzo, wh- did you so did you win Topeka that year, and then you had a bye to the finals? Uh, wow, you know your history. Um, Joe Gonzalez beat me in the finals of of Topeka. So I got to the finals of Topeka and Joe beat me. So I was not the number one seed coming Olympic trials. Joe was, it was overtime for what it was worth. So he beat me in that match in overtime. And then I had to wrestle up the ladder and then beat Kubo two matches in a row. And then the final, then I, Joe was waiting for me and he had obviously watched video on me as well. Um, But uh, I was feeling good that day. You know, I'm not an advocate for losing weight. I don't think you should. I hate, it's one of the most miserable parts of the sport. But in that particular court, in that particular case, after making 114 two days in a row and wrestling two days in a row, I had a – after I made – it was night before weigh-ins, you know. Oof. So um, I was feeling pretty good in the finals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> poor Joe. But anyways, it was more technique than horsepower, but I definitely was feeling good. So it was, it was just great to have that over with. It's funny you asked that. I never, ever, ever wrestled 114 again in my life. I feel pretty healthy now. I'm in the nutrition business, right? And I weigh 170s, and I'm feeling pretty good in my, in my, in my age and everything. But 114, holy smokes, that was one miserable experience. Um, you know, I've, I've shared stories with Gene Mills, another one of my heroes who's about 10 years older than me, and he did some crazy stuff to make 114 himself. He's one of the greatest in the history of the world at 114 as well. Um, and interestingly, he had a rivalry with Gonzalez also. Yeah, Gonzalez, that finals match is incredible. It was one of the highest scoring NCAA final matches in NCAA history because Gonzalez was takedown machine and Mills was tough on top. So, yeah, you know your history, Ryan, because that's when I was – I was like in seventh grade when they met in the NCAA finals. So by the time I got the Olympics trials, I was 21. Joe Gonzalez was about 28. Um, so he was into his prime, arguably, or maybe a slight, slight past it. And I was not quite into mine. I was still getting better. Um, yeah. We we clashed, and that was the scoop there. But much respect for those guys that paved the way. Oh, uh, no, I, no question. I appreciate the kind words. You know, I I grew up obsessing over Gable in the '80s. You know, and '90s was his reign, and and now I'm doing a documentary on on the Smith family, and so that '94 duel. Um, or that 94 Oklahoma State team was obviously – Oh, that's why it, the question. Yeah. yeah that, that didn't click for me. But, it, yeah, I mean, I, obviously I trained with John Smith for all those years. I mean, we were on World Olympic teams together over and over. And, um, you know, I've trained with John so many th- – literally thousands of times. Really? Um, my, absolutely, yes. Yeah, because we were on well, – our first world team together was 1985. was an Espoir world team, like junior world, 20 mm-hmm. under. Then we were again – then the next year I was on a world team for 20, but he was already on the senior world team. 
And then all the senior world training camps from 86 to 92, we would be together training and we were training partners a lot. I mean, I was 125, he's 136. So we're working out a lot. Um, yeah. He liked drilling on me. We like, we got after it. He didn't like my front head locked up. So we had <laughs> well, some good battles, but we, it was or, great. I mean, I've taught, I've taught, you know, like everybody's got their own style, right? So I got these short arms. I don't have the level change and flexibility of John, but I could teach a low single to my athletes really well. I mean, he developed it. He perfected it the best, still the best ever at it. Um, just amazing. And, but I, he was in the developmental stages of doing it when, you know, Trust me, he drilled it on me hundreds of times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get good at anticipating it, too. Well, um, and you scrapped with his guy, Corey Bays, all the time, you know, so you guys were intimately connected. Yeah, good memory. Corey's a good guy. He was on one of those junior world teams with me. You, you, it, so, Corey, I wrestled him in the Olympic trials that year. So, the day before I wrestled Kubo, I wrestled Corey Bays. I love Corey. He makes me feel tall. One of the few guys that can, I can say that about. Let me ask you a couple more things about 88, then we'll – then we'll um, pivot to, to the camps. But I just want to know, when you guys got to Seoul, Korea in 88, obviously it's the first time that the Soviets were there since 76, or that you guys were all together. Um, who was your roommate? What was the Olympic Village like? Do you remember? I have to think about that because we bounced around. We didn't have the same roommate all the time. John Smith was my roommate in Big Bear Lake where we spent a good chunk of time training up in the mountains before we went over to Korea. When we, when we went to Korea in the Olympic Village, it was like a – a six Nate Nate Carr was my bunk mate, and then there was like it was a apartment quad. So I mean, there was like six. I think it was a six, and we shared a central area or something like that. It's a little blurry, but I mean, it was four other guys. But Nate Carr was my roommate at Seoul. Um, yeah, I remember losing a lot of sweat, a lot of weight with him on the bikes. And then the um, training camp was at Big Bear before you guys left. Yeah, we might have been at the OTC for a short period of time, but it was mostly at Big Bear. Gotcha. Okay. So John, the short answer is John Smith in the, in the States and then uh, Nate Carr when we got over to, overseas. Got it. Okay. I, I just love that, that era. And obviously 88 was a fun, you know, fun time. When you look at all the guys wrestling that we know now, you know, Valo, Bella Glazov, you know, yourself, Kenny, John, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, that know, Olympic team, the Olympic team I was on was amazing. I mean, when you talk, you know, you talk, you, so that's pretty good as an Iowa fan. You can still talk about Kenny John with such good spirit. Yes. State yes. Yes. I mean, John Smith, Kenny Monday, and we had you know Mark Schultz was on that team. He did not win the gold that year, but he he was a phenomenal wrestler. The Shear brothers, Bruce Baumgartner was the gold. So we had three goals that year. Bruce won the gold, as did Kenny Monday and John Smith. Uh, an epic moment in history that people remember to see on video, and I remember vividly this day is you know so when Dave Schultz got beaten in Olympic trials by Kenny Monday, you know Dave joined our coaching staff. So the whole coach, the whole Olympic training camp, we were coached by Dave Schultz among others. I mean it was. The, many other coaches, but Dave was one of our coaches and he was Kenny's personal coach. What a great man. You know, we hear all these stories about him through Sly Fox and Rudis and just the legends and stories just go on and on. But the truth is he really took Kenny Monday under his wing to help him defeat the different opponents, including the Russian he beat in the finals. And then at the end, he carried Monday around on his shoulders. It was an impulsive. Like when Monday won, Dave lifted him up, ran him around the stadium. It was very, very cool special memory another special memory similar i have is when i was senior in high school little guy bobby weaver won the olympics in los angeles and he took his baby boy who was about one at the time put him on his shoulders and ran around the olympic coliseum in la those are memories that just like stick in your mind last a lifetime and uh, that i remember that clearly from my senior year i was watching on tv it was not i was not there in los angeles but it's definitely very cool man i appreciate you sharing those thank you um so you're out on the road now, you know, it's a kind of a crazy time. People are homeschooling, people are 
Some people are going to school. You're still doing camps. Talk about the, the camps you offer, where people can find you and how they can uh, book you if they'd like. Okay. Well, my main baby is summer camp. Our summer camp was great. I, we did temperature checks every single day. We had nurses on staff. We had no problems. We had no COVID. And since then, we've had no campers come with COVID. So I don't know what's really going on out there and trying to decide the science and the politics and all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But we did a really careful job making sure everybody that wanted to come was healthy and safe. And we did our best and it worked out well. So we had a successful summer camp over the course of a few weeks. We had over 300 wrestlers come through healthy, safe, and it went well. And we'll do that. I've been doing that for 20 years. It's the, it's the middle of July, July 11th through 25th for this coming year, 2021. We'll always use the, uh, the Penn State Ramada Conference Center. We wrestle and sleep right there in the hotel. It's an awesome situation. Um, the current situation is um, I travel around, do clinics. Uh, things are a little tight in the Pennsylvania, New York area, and I'm there a lot. So I've, I'm out here in Nebraska right now. I was in Colorado last weekend. I'm doing Legends of Gold in South Dakota with Terry Pack a week from Tuesday. Um, I got a lot of different things going on. So this weekend specifically, I'm going to the Lincoln. You know, University of Nebraska is there, but the club is called Little Hawks. And they have a youth club in town. It's a private club. And they bring in kids from all over. I mean, anybody can come to it, but they, it's a private facility. It's not part of the school. And um, then on – so that's Saturday. And then this Sunday, I'm connected with George Ivanoff. Um, Georgie was a NCL American for, you know, Olympian from Bulgaria, very charismatic, good, good guy. He's got a club over in Iowa and council bluffs. And, um, so Saturday in Lincoln, Sunday in council bluffs, uh, those are my, this, this weekend, the camps that I'm doing. And then the following week I'm in South Dakota legends of gold. And I, I just continue to schedule different events on the fly as they come up and what have you. So I'll be, tra I travel. I'm and looking so, to get when it gets cold here. I'm looking to go south. So, amen. You folks in South Carolina and Florida, hey, let's get set up. You know. So you, so your main, so your main wink long summer camp that's always been at Penn State at the Ramada. You said there, and then um, do you still do the the weekend preseason ones? I remember you used to do those. Old, yeah, I did, they're called weekend warriors. Thanks yeah. for remembering. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what this weekend is. Is a weekend warrior camp, but just instead of doing two days in one place. I'm doing a day in Lincoln and a day in Council Bluffs. They're about an hour apart. And a lot of kids do both. Yeah. So I, I do a lot more clinics now. Um, you know, I used to do camps from Memorial Day through Labor Day. I mean, I ran literally in, in the heyday. I was running over 2,000 kids in the summer through camps. And it just over time became a grind. I decided to focus on just my Pennsylvania camps. We got a great thing going in Pennsylvania. The kids fly in and the Penn State Ramada is just loaded. I mean, we're, we're attracting and developing great kids. So those two weeks of camp, July 12, July 11 through 25th for 2021 is the main babies there. And I do shorter clinics, one and two day events um, around the country. I just do a lot of times I tie into my TV travel, right? So I'm an analyst for the PAC 12 networks and big 10 networks. So I, I get to travel a lot to Oregon state, Stanford, Arizona state. And then uh, this year I was in Nebraska at the university of Nebraska for the Penn state duel. Um, and I did clinics here in Nebraska that week as well. Mm -hmm. So I just, it's kind of tied into my travel. That's obviously up in the air now, but hopefully I'll be able to travel in January and February and hit the Pac-12 and Big Ten cities and do some clinics in those towns. But for now, I'm in the, in the mid, middle, the Plains, the Midwest area, and then I'm looking to hit the Southeast during November and December when it gets cold here, head South. Plus my parents retired down South too. So that ties in visiting them as well. And you're just the best way to book you is Ken Chertow and Google, go to the website and email you or do you, What's the best way to book a camp with you if you're a high school coach? Yeah, I mean, KenChurcher.com is my website, and I'm on Facebook. And my email, to be specific, my email is camps with an S at KenChurcher.com. So C-A-M-P-S 
at kenchurto.com. People call me too, man. I, I, t- I deal with, per- I deal with this person. I don't have anybody working with me. I manage my company. I do it myself. I book my clinics. Um, so I handle it all myself and my, my phone number is available too, but for simplest, just to use camps yeah. at kenchurto.com to get started. Perfect. Look them up folks. Now, Ken, before we let you go, you've mentioned Penn state a number of times and I can't believe I forgot to ask you this and we'll close with this. You've been around a lot of greats in your day. What Kale Sanderson's building right now is really special. You mentioned Quentin Wright and um, Zane, are both guys you've coached, would under us for him. If you can give us a peek behind the curtain, what do you think is going on there outside of the phenomenal recruiting that's allowing Penn State to develop such a dynasty consistently? You're a researcher, Ryan, because I don't think I mentioned Quentin in our conversation. But um, anyways, I did. Quentin did grow up in my clubs. So I'll talk about Quentin and Zane first and then go on to the meat of your question. But Quentin Wright is somebody who grew up at my kids' club locally. He's from State College and went on to become a, a stud in high school. But he really blossomed as he kept kept working to improve through high school and college and kept getting better. Two-time NCAA champ. And same with Zane. Zane wasn't gifted. He wasn't killing it in elementary school right away. He didn't win his first state-level title till eighth grade as a junior high state champion. And then he won the state as a freshman weighing 95 pounds. Very awesome. And so in the early years, there, Quentin was – Quinton clinched the NCAA championship for Penn State in Philadelphia, I believe it was 2012, when Penn State won their first NCAA title in this run of titles. Quinton's win in the NCAA semifinals, I believe he, I think he pinned the guy from Iowa in a cradle. But um, that was the clincher um, for Penn State to win the NCAA championship that year. And then, then Zane obviously has been a force in the middle with all those superstars coming through. So, as you said, recruiting is the key. But, I, you know, they promote – they just do a good job of developing individual talents. I think the key is they're, they're looking at – there's not some team style. They're recruiting the best guys that have character, that lead clean lives, that stay out of trouble, that you know, aren't drinking and smoking. They're, they're not going to have that problem. And then they do a really good job of individually developing those guys to get the most out of their talents, and they keep them happy. You know, everybody jokes about having fun and stuff and all that. And, I mean, they do it. It's, it's, they, they keep it – they keep it real. They try to get too overly tight. It's not like I got to kill them. It's I want to relax. I want to be intense, but relaxed, not tense. That's something I'm always emphasizing as a coach myself. I think Penn state does a great job of keeping their guys focused and intense, but not tense. They're relaxed. And I think we all as athletes have to do that to be the very best we can be. And if you look how Spencer Lee's transformed in Iowa, you know, Spencer's intense but he's relaxed. He's not tense. He's not uptight. And that's the mindset you have to have and to be at the very highest levels of competition, whether it's state championships, NCAAs, or ultimately the Olympic level. Yeah. And it's, it's something where to your point, the, the tenseness doesn't seem to be there. And I often wonder, is it because of the way Kale defines a successful match? You know, you've heard, and we've all heard the brand and I'm a huge brands fan, but he said, you know, when you live, lose, you die. So if you lose a match, it's like a death. You know, whereas Kale to me seems like they're putting more of a focus on not so much the outcome, but the effort and, and things going into the match. Do you think Kale and Brands are polar opposites on that or more closely aligned than we think? The second thing, I think they're more closely aligned than you think. I mean, certainly Kale's more chill when he talks to people. He's calm, but he's an intense man. He takes it serious, gets after it. And, and Brands, yeah, his, uh, his image is like, but reality is he's a thinker they're planning they're scheming and I think there's a lot of middle ground there and ultimately they're getting the most out of each individual athlete and um it's yeah they're not polar opposites they're, they might be their personalities just as far as Kale being chill and Tom, Tom and Terry being more 
little more energetic, but nah, they're, they're very, they have, they're on the same page in a lot of ways. When Kale puts a great staff around him, like Cunningham, Varner, his brother, I mean, Cunningham could easily be a head coach somewhere else. I mean, that's, I'm sure you've got to work with that guy quite a bit too. Yeah. He's, he's got a great staff. I mean, him and him and Casey developed such a great relationship when they were, you know, in their late twenties, in their mid twenties training and they stayed together. It's, they've kept that staff together. I mean, continuity is impressive. And that's a, that's a big attribute to their success as well. And obviously he's trained Varner since he was little. He's, he's still got David Taylor and Zane around training with the club. And he's, you know, been mentoring them for since they were freshmen in college and David before that in camp. So yeah, he's got a, he's got a good loyal base and the coaches and training partners stay around. Can't go wrong there. If you think about Iowa in the eighties with the Hawkeye club, they kept a lot of studs around. It helps. I know for me, when I was at Penn State, I trained a lot with this guy named Johnny Orr, who was getting his MBA at Penn State, was in our club. And Rich Salamone, who was getting his MBA. These guys are all, you know, second and third in the Olympic trials, 136, 105. They're great partners. So it's, it's a combination of keeping your coaches and training partners around. Indeed. It's exciting to see it. And, you know, like you said, hopefully we have a season here. Um, a lot of good teams in the mix. And we'll see how it shakes out. Ken Chertow, it's been an honor, my friend. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.